Go ahead and grab a seat. Um, my name is Ricky. I serve as one of the pastors here. We've been going through this series on work. Uh, we're, you know, whatever it is that you do, whether you are paid uh, outside, you know, in, in the workforce, whether you're not paid and, and you work from home with the kids, whatever it might be, um, you know, and we just said, hey, how, does, how can we worship ultimately God in and through our work? Um, that, God, that work is a good thing created by God. And then last week we talked about how we can work uh, to love others. And um, so, uh, you know, imagine if somebody has invited you to a free show on the other side of the globe. They, they, they've booked your tickets, they've paid for your hotel, all expenses paid. So f- for you to come watch the largest firework display in the history of humankind. And uh, to, to watch the biggest one the world has ever seen. And this is a little bit, you know, a glimpse of what you get to see. Um, so anyways, that's how we roll at my house on the 4th of July. Uh, I'm just kidding. That is from uh, Dubai in 2014. And it was the largest firework display, the, again, the world had ever seen. It cost millions of dollars. They lit up almost 480,000 fireworks. So let's say that you're sitting there watching this incredible display and then you feel this tug on your pants and there's some little kid that said, hey, I have a ticket and it'll cost you five bucks and you could come watch me light my sparkler. You want to come? Right now. Five bucks. How many of you would be like, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be rude, but beat it, kid. Right? I mean, you're like, this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I mean, like literally, you're watching this amazing thing happen, and then some, you know, are you going to trade it for a sparkler that you even have to pay for, or even requires something of you? I mean, if that happened, there's just no way you're making that trade, right? You're, you're just thinking, hey, this is, this is amazing. This is incredible. There's nothing ever like this in the history of the world I don't want to swap that. I don't want to trade down for a sparkler. But in our lives, do we actually do the exact same thing? That we we are making, even maybe daily, the decision to turn our eyes off of something truly glorious and to watch a sparkler. And we trade down for what is so much lesser. Because here's the reality. Whether you believe in God or not, all of you are looking at something. Your heart is given over to something, your affections, your attention, your allegiance. All, you have given yourself over to something, something to worship, to something to find your source of joy, meaning, purpose, significance, your worth. And, and we, we've been going through this uh, series on work and how we can worship God, we can love God through our work. But what happens is rather than worshiping God through our work, we worship our work. Or we worship what our work can get us. And we turn to focus on the sparklers. And so today we're just going to be looking at why it's so important what we, what we worship, what we turn our gaze, our lives to, and how do we reveal those, those, those sparklers, those idols in our life. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Exodus the second book of the Bible, so Genesis, then Exodus, so Exodus 20. And it says this in verse 1, it says, And God 
spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God and a jealous God. And this is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. People have just come out of Egypt, and God says, I mean, right off the bat, hey, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't worship anything else. Don't ultimately serve anything. Have your life, your, your significance, your, your, the, the, your heart focus be about anything else but me. In Exodus 34, 17, he says, don't make yourself um, any idols. You know, we all have these counterfeit, these fake gods, these idols in our hearts that we look to for significance, for meaning, for ultimate trust, to tell us who we are. And we, we worship is giving our attention, our allegiance, our affections to something. And all of us have the, these, these fake idols in our life that we're saying, hey, that's what I'm going to look to. That's what I'm going to look to to tell me who I am, to tell me the meaning of life, to help me feel happy, to give me meaning and significance. And God says, no, 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 hey, don't be looking at anything else. Just worship me for I'm a jealous God. Now, let's admit, when we read that, that phrase there, because I'm a jealous God, that seems a little weird. Like, hey, isn't jealousy a bad thing? It's not a bad thing if you're saying, hey, you need to, you know, if it's rightfully yours. Talked about that in our, in our city group. But is God just being selfish? One day I was, this past summer, uh, we were walking to this pond that's about a third of a mile from our house. And with, I'm walking with my kids. And uh, one of my, my boys asked me this question right off the bat. He just goes, Dad, hey, what's, what's like really the meaning and the purpose of life? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, don't just say like God, you know, like how do we know what the purpose of life is? And um, I said, ask your mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, I, well, I said, hey, well, okay, do you, do you think that whatever, I mean, how can we know? I said, don't you think that whatever it is, if, if it really is the meaning of our life, don't you think it has to be something that's really big? You know, for us to really know that that's what it is, that it would have to be so big, that it actually has to be so worthy that, to make our lives about that thing. And, and then I asked, asked Colton, I go, hey, so do you think that our lives, you know, if, if, if our, the meaning of our lives can only be something really big, something so worthy... Do you think our lives could be about ourselves or let's say our jobs? And Colton goes, no, they're not big enough. And then just, you know, to think before, you know, it's a great theologian thing. When we got there to the, to the pond, he just goes, yeah, dad, I actually knew the answer was God. I was just trying to pass the time. Um, so <laughs> I was just like, that's, that's weird. Um, you know, but, but you, hey, your life can't be about these other things. Because they're just not big enough. And so when God is telling us, hey, don't worship anything else. Don't give your life, your affection to anything else. He's saying, hey, it's not big enough to hold your worship. It's not worthy of your praise. Stop looking to these other things that ultimately can't satisfy you. They can't give you the kind of significance, can't give you the kind of meaning that you're after. Hey, and he starts off, I'm God. 
I am the Lord your God, the one who brought you out of Egypt. The commandment even doesn't even start with you, but it starts with who he is. Hey, I'm really God, and look, I'm the one who redeems you, who loves you, who pursued you, who came and freed you. You're my treasured possession. You're my special people. That, that's, that's who I am, and that's who I've revealed myself to you. So, hey, don't worship anything that's not really God. And this is such a loving commandment. Hey, don't look to these things that are fake because they're not me. This is, if you look to anything else, it's just not big enough. Why would you worship something that isn't God? You know, we, we all need air. We need oxygen to breathe and survive. It's not good for you to breathe in a bunch of carbon dioxide. Why? You weren't created for it. You weren't created to breathe that. Every single person was created to only worship the true God, nothing fake. You're never meant to worship anything else. And so, and so when you worship, when you derive your meaning from something else that's not God, that's just like breathing in all this carbon dioxide. It's going to ultimately kill you because that's just not what, how you were meant to breathe. And that's just like anything else, that's just not how you were meant to worship. It just isn't big enough. You know, it's one thing to, to gaze at, at a crack in the sidewalk. It's a far different thing to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and gaze at that. And so the J.R. Vassar, he's a, a pastor, he said this. He goes, the joy from get, from you get from loving an object is directly proportional to the glory of that object. The greater the glory of the object, the greater you, the joy you get from loving it. The greater the glory from the object, the greater the joy you get from loving it because it's just that big. But our affections tend to be disproportionate to the objects that we love. We can enjoy this free fireworks display, the, world, the biggest one in the world that's ever seen, but we turn to the sparkler. And so what are those sparklers that we trade for? What are those idols that we look to, that we give over ourselves to, to get our meaning, our satisfaction from? And rather than worshiping God through our work, we worship our work or what we can get through our work because work can reveal our idols. So for us to help us see what are those other things that we uh, those sparklers, those idols, turn with me to Genesis 11. So this is the first book of the Bible, Genesis 11. While you're turning there, I just want to give you a little bit of a warning. As we go through these, this is going to be, for many of you, if maybe not most of you, your instinct is going to be like, you're going to think of somebody else that struggles with that. You're going to be looking at your wife, you're going to be thinking of your boss, you're going to be thinking of somebody you know, on TV, whatever it is, you're going to be like, that's them. And then you're going to have kind of like a little bit of defensiveness. You're going to think like, well, that's not really me. And I just say, hey, listen to God's word, listen to the spirit, and just think, okay, hey, God, what are you wanting to speak to me right now? Whether there it's a little bit, whether it's a lot of bit, show me how I am, am chasing these idols. Um, so Genesis 11, verse 1. <clears throat> now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from, from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. 
and, and, and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. So, hey, things are okay. Hey, let's do it. Let's do a work. Let's build something together. That's fine. Then they said, come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. You know, and, and so, so they're, they're saying, hey, why do we want to do this? We want to make a name for ourselves. The implication is, is you feel like you don't have a name for yourself. And, and here what that's saying, they're saying, hey, come let us make an identity for ourselves. And it seems like they lack one. Hey, if we build something really amazing, if we do something really amazing, then we'll make a name for ourselves. We'll feel good about ourselves. We'll have an identity. Other people will see what we've done. And so this first idol, this first sparkler that we, that we, we lean towards and have our hearts go to away from God is approval, acceptance. If I do this, then people will think that. Or even if I do this, I will think that of myself. And some of you are trying to, you're, you're working not really so much for the Lord, but for someone's approval, for what someone thinks of you. And again, that might even be yourself. Because if you achieve enough, if you succeed enough, then you will feel validated. And work is meant to be just something to enjoy, to worship God, is actually a way for you to feel fulfilled in life. It's giving you meaning. It's giving you identity. It's telling you who you are. I just want to tell you, by the way, as we go through, through these, I struggle with each and every one of them. I mean, when it's, it's, it's there sometimes. Oh, hey, I get up here and preach. Man, people are going to go eat lunch somewhere eventually, and they're going to ask this question. Hey, what would you think of the sermon? Man, hopefully they thought that was good. I want you to think that I'm a great pastor. And to a degree, that's okay. You know, I don't want you to think like, man, these sermons stink. <laughs> that guy even know Jesus? I mean, but but the, there, there is this, this desire of me of like, man, I want, I want your approval. I want you to think something of me. And how do you struggle with that? I'm not asking you if you do. I'm saying, how do you do? You know, our world is desperate for acceptance, for approval, I'm going to post this, please like it, please agree with what I'm saying on, on social media, and then you feel incredibly offended if somebody disagrees with you. That's something in your identity, that's something in your heart that's broken. Maybe it's your, maybe your work is parenting. How many of you, you're just, it's crossed your mind frequently, and it feels like this thing where you're like, do they think I'm a good parent? Man, my kid's misbehaving. What are they thinking of me? Do they think that I just don't know how to do this? Do they think that I'm not being consistent enough? And you're, you're getting your identity from your kids. And you want to make sure that you're doing so great at schooling, at parenting, at disciplining, so that, that it reflects well on you. Please let me make a name for myself. Maybe you feel like you even have to just be at every single activity because if you're not there, then what will people say? You want this reassurance of your, your worth. Maybe you feel a little bit superior because of the kind of job that you have, because of the kind of income that you make. Maybe you feel better about yourself because you do stay at home. Maybe you feel better about yourself because you don't stay at home. 
At your job, you want your boss, your employees, your coworkers to think of you in a certain way. To, that they think, man, that person is doing their job so good. They're so awesome. But in the back of your mind, you'll say something like this. But, well, it's just, it's just I'm a hard worker. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I just want to play really close attention to every detail. I'm just, I'm just kind of a perfectionist. But really, behind it all is not your attention to detail. It's this desire that you want from people to affirm who you are. Just a little bit. Maybe you avoid conflict because, oh, what are they going to think? Maybe you don't take blame for things, but you'll take the credit. You promote yourself. You know, the, the thing with, with working or, or having this idol of acceptance from others, this, this approval from others, is that you'll always have to work for it. I mean, even people that reach kind of like the pinnacle of achievement, of other people's affirmation. You know, something like, hey, we won the Super Bowl. Well, then there's next season. Hey, you made this deal. Well, then there's the next deal. Hey, you were super awesome today, but what about tomorrow? People's approval is so fleeting. It only lasts for a little bit, and there's this false promise that if others like us, that if they accept us, that if they love us, that if they think that we're something really great, then that'll be enough. But then you just kind of find out like a week later, a day later, and a minute later that you're just like, yeah, but I still want something more. It doesn't solve the problem of you not feeling like you're enough. You just keep wanting it. We take our, you know, we take our, our focus off of something that's so much bigger, so much more glorious that we have in God. Hey, you're big enough. And then, hey, what about the sparkler? What about this other little thing that I could kind of look at to get our identity from what people think of us? So the first idol is, is approval, is acceptance. For the next idol, turn to Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. So it'll be about, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is what Jesus says. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't put your life, your treasures, in what ultimately can be taken away. But put your life, your treasure with God. Have your ultimate value be what you, the, your heart, what you treasure is in God, his promises, his kingdom. Because whatever your heart treasures, your money, your time, your resources will all follow it. Whatever it is that you treasure, your time, your money, all of those things will follow it. And also whatever you are putting your time, your money towards, your heart's going to follow Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what you treasure, look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statement. Maybe look at your credit card debt. Ooh. Right? What, what do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? And here, Jesus is not just like, hey, so make sure you do all that right. He's getting to our hearts. Hey, what, what is going on here? What do you worship? What do you pay attention to? And then it says, verse 22, 
The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light, is, the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he's just saying, hey, the, the way that you view the world is through your eyes. And, and, and if you have a good eye, a good eye towards God, towards his kingdom, towards being generous, your, 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 your eye is full of light. You see the world in, in a good way. If your eye is, is, is full of darkness then it's going to be different how you view your world. You're going to be more just greedy. And so then verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, I mean, think, think of Jesus' day. There's all these false gods. People are, you know, there's all these, these Greeks around them worshiping other things. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, you can't worship God and Zeus. Right? I mean, he's not appealing to that. He just says, hey, you can't. This is the only time where Jesus says you can't worship this and that. He says you can't worship God and money. Not, hey, you, you shouldn't or don't. He says you can't. Because something is going to have the affections, the allegiance, the attention of your heart. It will be something. And it will either be God or maybe your money and stuff. That word there for money is mammon, which is like money and what it can get you, your stuff. And money is a fine, good thing. I mean, there's even that, that uh, quote that will we'll actually kind of say wrong and from First Timothy, oh, money's the root of all evil. That's actually not what it says. It says for the love of money. The love of money, the worship of money stirs up all kinds of evil. So it's not that money's the problem, but it's, it's our hearts. So do we worship God or money? Because when we work, many times we get money, and that's good, but then our work becomes about getting that money or about what that money can get us. And so the next idol, you know, the first one was approval. Now the next idol is comfort and pleasure. Comfort and pleasure. Look at verse um, 28. You know, he just says, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, like one of these flowers. You know, like uh, in verse, um, there, there in verse 25, you know, it, are, you're so worried about your clothing. What you shall eat, what you will drink. We become so focused on what can we get. You know, materialism, when we love our lives to be comfortable. Hey, can I have enough? Can I have enough house, enough car, just enough, enough stuff? And then, then if I have all these comforts, then I will feel good about that, a certain kind of living. Do, do, do you work for money and to have enough stuff? I'm not saying do you enjoy those things. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying like ultimately at the bottom of it, it's just like, well, yeah. Here'd be a thing. If there was another job that you absolutely loved, but it got you less money, would you take it? Right? There might be this hesitancy. <gasps> right? Because I just need to make sure I make enough. That you have the right kind of stuff to make sure that you can take that vacation, that you can have those kinds of clothes, that you can make sure that, 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 you, that you golf enough. Right, don't, tear, don't dare you attack my golf hobby, Ricky. Do you know what my wife spends the money on? Look at our house, all these things, decorating. 
as an example, right? And again, those things aren't bad, but again, where, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Does your checkbook, your credit card, the way that you spend your money, does it reflect that really you have this humongous desire for comfort to, to help you be happy, to do the things that you like to do? If you suddenly had less, would you still be happy? What would, what would this be for you? I am not content unless I have access to this particular pleasure in my life. What pleasure in your life, if it was gone, you, like, honestly would not be content? Flip on that. You know, or a little side note here. This is not about, like, worship or work exactly, but just about the idol of comfort. Our phones and Netflix have just become like adult pacifiers. Right? Hey, life's tough. Wah, boom, pacifier, <laughs> Netflix, boom, phone, right? We want to escape. Please help me to feel happy. Help me to feel okay, right? And again, it's not like Netflix is bad. It's not like watching TV is bad, but it's like, man, do you, when, when you feel stressed out, when you feel discontent, where do you run? You run to the sparkler? Please entertain me for a little bit so I can feel better, right? And we run to these, these comforts. But Jesus says in verse 25, he says, is not your life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Hey, isn't your life more than that? Of course it is. It, it, shouldn't what have your heart be bigger than, than clothing, than a house? Isn't it more than that? Isn't it bigger than your stuff? Don't trade down. Don't trade the glory that we can have in God and trade down for, for something else. So, you know, that, that first idol that we, or, you know, we said comfort, or, yeah, comfort through our money. The next one is control and security. Verse 20, you know, verses 25 through, through 30, there's all these kind of like, basically the, the, the person is like, okay, I can't worship God in money, but what about, will I have enough? Will I have enough? What if this? What if that? And then he's saying, like, don't be anxious about that, right? You, you, suddenly, the, 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 the idea of money goes, go, makes you worry because you want to make sure that you're secure. I mean, the video that we showed, I remember back in March when it was like we launched out, we became our own church. We didn't have like, oh, hey, here's a, here's a bunch of money as you guys launch out of church. It was just like, go for it. And I remember in March looking at our staff and being like, Hey, uh, and I mean, you feel bad. You're like, oh, crud. Man, we just invited all these people, all this staff into something that's like, oh, crud, I don't know if I could pay you next month. And, and, and we're praying, and I, and, I, and I feel like, oh, gosh. And I'll admit, there are times that that feeling of like, oh, comes back. Man, what if this COVID thing's just... And people just get in the habit of not worshiping together, not being in a community together, not having their lives to be about Jesus. They'll just, and then that's just their life. And then, and then, boom. And God, God shuts us down. You know, and there's this insecurity that I have in that. For you, what, what is that? That, that? What is it that you want to make sure that you're in control of, that you're secure in? Is it your bank account? Is it that for you to control the future of your kids? that they are smart enough, that they're good enough so that they could be successful enough? 
You know, for, for you, it just might be your job. If you're a workaholic, th this might be something that you're wrestling with. And you just play it off. Well, like, I got to get it done. Right? But you're just, you're fighting that security and that control. If you have that, the other people that maybe work around you feel pretty stressed out. You know, you're wanting to make sure that, that life goes according to your plans. And if we just have enough, if we have enough money, if we have these things, if I make enough, that will solve our problems. We'll be okay. But Jesus says, don't store up treasures where moth and rust destroy. Hey, any of those things, your health, what you make, your, your bank account, all of these things that you're putting your security in, they can be taken away. They can be lost. Don't make your life about what you can't control. Any of these things that you're looking to is just not big enough. And even Jesus says, hey, if I take care of the birds, if I'm taking care of the birds, aren't you more valuable than they? Of course you are. Hey, don't, don't worry about controlling everything. Don't I value you more than those things? So those are just, you know, these three kind of big idols of, of people's approval and acceptance of, of comfort and pleasure, of control and security. We, we all have these idols. We all give our hearts, our attention to something else that we make, you know, the, these kind of like, in some ways, good things. We make them very big things. We make them ultimate things. So just a couple more questions for you to think through. Just like, okay, hey, how to help you identify maybe what your idols are? Other than just like, hey, what, is, what makes you happy? What do you put your you know, approval in? Here's just a couple <clears throat> other questions to help you identify those. What do you worry about? What do you worry about? I mean, in Matthew 6, he ties all of this to anxiousness. Hey, where your, your, your treasure is, your heart will be also, hey, don't be anxious about anything. So what do you worry about? Your job, your kids, money. Maybe you're worrying about this election, the future. What, are, what, what you worry about shows what you value. What do you spend a lot of time thinking about, like, what if? What are you stressed about? Trying to make things be done a certain way. So what do you worry about? Next question is, and this is kind of similar to it, but a little bit different. What do you pray for? What do you spend the majority of your time praying for? And, and, and first, when I, when I ask this question, we should pray about all kinds of things. I mean, I think sometimes we think like, oh, well, that's not big enough. I don't know if I should go to God. I don't know if he has time. He's God. He, he's outside of time. He's, he's, he's available, right? Pray, pray to God about all kinds of things, anything, big things, little things. But I just say, hey, when you, if, if we just kind of looked at, if you looked at your prayer life, what you talked to God about, is it mainly about you? God bless me. God, keep me safe. God, do this with my kids. God, make sure that they're like that. And is it just like mainly like, yeah, I'm looking at, at my prayer life and it's showing me what I value and I value myself. I value my world. Do you first seek the kingdom of God? Do you pray, God, help me to know you, to grow in just knowing you and delighting in Jesus. To God, there's this sin that I'm struggling with and just help me to fight it. Or God, is it just bless me? 
Do you pray for your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members? God, help them to know Jesus. I want to see you, your glory, your kingdom just, just be expanded in this world and the people that I know and love. I want them to know you. God, please, I'm desperate work in their life. Or is it just, God, keep me safe? Do you pray to, that God help us to be growing in community as a church family? Or is it just, hey, I want things to be comfortable? What you pray for shows what you love, what you really value. And again, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, don't, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, don't pray about your health, right? Do that. But if that's all you're desperate for, if that's all you're really praying about, that's showing, that should reveal something to you of, hey, what do I ultimately value? What do I really want to see happen in this world? And it might just be for you to have a better life. Or is it, man, I'm desperate for God. I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to see him move in and around me, through me, to see his kingdom realized. Third question, how do you feel tempted to compromise? Or how do you compromise? Think of various companies out there. We've, we've seen them. Oh, man, they just scammed all their, their employees out of a bunch of money. Oh, they've been, it scammed their customers out of a bunch of employees. You know, back, you know, with Enron and things with banks and all of these things, we see it. Somebody in there somewhere made a compromise. Because why? What was the bottom line? What was ultimately what they're doing? We just need to make money. We just want to make money. NCAA coaches coaching for football. No, I'm not referring to anyone here in town exactly, so don't worry about that. But like, hey, wait a minute, we could pay players, we could pay recruits. Oh, hey, that's a get outside the rules. But hey, wait, everybody else is doing it. They're doing it, and if I don't do it, I'm not going to win. Right? Because the bottom line is just winning. And so what do you compromise in, or what will you seek to justify that you're doing? Maybe you just move the timesheet. Oh, hey, I actually worked this long. I mean, I'm only adding 20 minutes. That's not a big deal. I'm trying to justify it. Hey, I, I don't know about this deal, but man, we'll make a lot of money on it. Hey, well, but if I don't do this, I could lose my job. Or this one, and I think a lot of us say this, but I deserve it. We're trying to seek something so we could compromise. Why? For our idols, what we ultimately value rather than just, God, I'm trusting in you. God, your ways are better. And you know what, God? I might lose my job, but I'm going to keep my eyes on your glory, on who you are. And so how do you compromise, even if it's just a little bit? And so take time. Take some time to, to wrestle with these questions, you know, to, to even ask somebody, hey, where, where do you maybe see this in my life? You know, we have these blind spots and invite someone in that conversation. Yeah, it might not feel great. And you might be just thinking, man, I can't wait till it's their turn. <laughs> right? But still, invite them into that, in your city group, in your huddles. Having, but, but having these idols is ultimately dissatisfying and defeating because, again, none of these things are, are, are just big enough. You know, in our, in, our, in our solar system, the sun sits at the center of it, and all these planets revolve around it. And the reason that that happens is, is because the sun is actually so big, it's so massive, it has so much weight that everything else, for it to all function properly, it needs to have that kind of size. 
But if we said, no, let's have everything revolve around the earth or around us, everything would just be out of whack. Why? Because the earth is too puny. And we want that in our lives. Hey, I know, I know that my life should revolve around God and all of these things, but hey, let's, let's try it the other way, and it just won't work. We must glory in what is most glorious. We, we must love what is most lovely. We must value supremely what is most supremely valuable. And here's the good news. We have it in God. We have this in Jesus. If I just come and tell you, hey, like, you stink and you have these idols in your life, yeah, that might be helpful, but ultimately that's not what we just need is to identify the things that are wrong in our life. We need Jesus, his glory, his bigness, his amazing love, his amazing infinite power, his infinite glory. We need him, and the good news is he has given himself to you so that you might know him, and he's done it completely by his grace, completely by his love for you, not because you've done anything to just earn it or get it or receive it or make sure you have it. God said, I want you to experience the most lovely, glorious thing in me, and he invites you into relationship with him. It's so amazing. You know, his acceptance of us is so amazing that, that you know, if, if you trust in Jesus, we're permanently accepted by God because we're in Christ when you go to God, you don't come with your bad week, your bad day, you've messed up. You come to God in the name of Jesus, his perfect righteousness that he's earned for you. You are made a son, a daughter. What, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that acceptance that we have in Jesus is so big, it frees us that, hey, I don't need the acceptance of someone else because I have it in God. The creator of the universe thinks those things about you. No other approval comes close. The gospel frees us from comfort and pleasure and materialism. We don't need that stuff to be happy. He fills us with infinite joy. He fills us with his presence, his goodness. So we don't need to be preoccupied with, our, with ourselves or our, our stuff. We have this wonderful God that we can look to because that is where joy is found. And when we reorder our lives to, to look at what is most glorious, that's where joy is found in him. The gospel frees us from control because God is in control. He sent his son into darkness. Hey, if God emptied a tomb with a dead guy in it, he can have control in your life. Right? Like, aren't you more valuable than birds? Yes, God is in control. Whatever happens with this election, God is in control. I don't have to worry about it. His power is bigger than all of it. That is our King and Savior. And if, and if you don't know Jesus, I just say turn to him today. He's the only one that satisfies because you've been chasing different things or you think that you ultimately don't maybe even need Jesus. I just say you do. He's the only one that can satisfy you. He paid the price for your sin so that you could know him, so that you could be forgiven of your sin and be united with Christ, united with God, totally because of what he's done for you. So turn to him. And if you have trusted in Christ, your joy, your life, it depends on you reordering your life, your worship, your significance to God because he is the one that satisfies you. And he gives, you, he, he, he gives us exactly what we need, the thing that is only big enough for our worship. 
which is himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you um, that you are big enough, Lord, that you do satisfy. And Lord, I pray that as we, Lord, as we hear these words, Lord, may we not feel defeated in this, Lord, but we have victory in Christ. So help us to look to your goodness, to you. Um, We ask this in your name. Amen.